0: Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. (laughs) You're talking like I'm fifty. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to the Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: The timeline is a Blue Wire podcast.
0: When did it become apparent to you that it was going to be one of those games where you really needed to to almost take over? Yeah, man, we've, we've had a few of those this year um, where we let some leads slip um, due to what you just said. You know, I feel live ball turnovers were something that we talked about at halftime. And, you know, we didn't want these nights to be one of those nights. I think all of our losses have their, their own characteristics that, you know, s- stick with us and, and they don't feel good. So... You know, just wanted to put that thought away in the third quarter and, and get it going.
1: Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm back. Sam, how are you doing?
2: I'm good, man.
1: How, how are you?
2: The Phoenix Suns are... Having another good week. Finish the month of February. Twelve and three.
1: Yeah, an amazing month. An amazing month. First of all, thank you for uh, taking the reins on the podcast last week. You did a great job. That was fun to listen to for me. It uh, a nice I fun podcast to listen to. Didn't burn the place down. That was basically all I was all I was striving for. So, <laughs> uh, you did you did a great job. But uh, it was fun for me to listen to. But I am happy to be back because this team is pretty fascinating. Has been really fun, uh, and they've won a lot of games, even just in the week. Since I last recorded, they've won a few games, lost one frustrating. Every loss they have is a bit frustrating, it feels like now. I guess that that's what it's like to uh, cheer for a good team now. Uh, but it's nice to be back to talk about this team. But like you said, 12-3 in February. We're recording immediately after they beat the Minnesota Timberwolves by 19 points, where Devin Booker had his season high in points with 43 points. He looked like a superstar again. It looked like bubble book once again that Minnesota defense does a nice thing for somebody like him what'd you think of the game tonight
2: well they absolutely I mean I think Devin Booker proved that he was a game changer in this one sorry to go to that (laughs) reference (laughs) this quickly this week but yeah man 43 points five rebounds five assists 15 of 26 shooting um he had the mid-range every every move in the bag tonight um his finishing was also unstoppable
0: uh, mm-hmm. in a way
2: that obviously Devin Booker's finishing is always good, but just, you know, he was kind of just throwing himself at the rim at, at a certain point in that third quarter, and there was nothing the, the Wolves could do about it. Just a really a really funny week in that the Suns played a, a tandem of not great teams. You know, they mm-hmm. went into that game uh, against Chicago. They were down going into the fourth quarter, and then they were able to eke out a great win there. DeAndre Ayton was all over that fourth quarter. Um, Devin Booker had a, a, a solid game there too. Then they come into this game, and again, kind of letting a bad team hang there with them for a little bit too long. It's the third quarter. It's still a one or two point game. Minnesota was in it until about halfway through that third quarter. And then it was nice that Devin Booker could assert himself as as a true superstar. He really did do that tonight and, and put his foot on the gas pedal. And the Suns never looked back after that point.
1: Yeah, it worked. Like, it's designed to work in that Devin Booker just kind of took off in that third quarter. And then when Chris Paul came back in for his, what could be his final stint, sometimes Chris Paul comes in early in the fourth, takes a break, and then comes back in late in the fourth. And uh, Chris Paul just kind of finished him off. He did his Chris Paul thing where it's just eight pick and rolls in a row and then finding (laughs) different ways to score on those pick and rolls. And specifically in those minutes, there's a specific stretch in every game that I've noticed. And like the last five or six games, um, I tweeted up about it as a switch that they're learning to flip. And it's a defensive thing where Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, Daria Saric are on the floor all at once. Oftentimes with like Etuan Moore or Cameron Johnson, usually Cameron Johnson's on the floor as well. And they're just able to hit this height defensively that really shuts teams down. And what Chris Paul can do so well is when the defense really is is rolling, to then slow it down to like this grind pace with pick and rolls and just hit shots over and over and over again with three or four seconds left on the shot clock, it's just very demoralizing for the other team. And it's really nice to have a team that can look that competent without Devin Booker on the floor because how long it's been for something like that to happen they just hit this they hit this height with those three guys because they're Mm -hmm. all three really really smart basketball players that I think it's almost it almost looks like one of the best lineups that they have and it's without Devin Booker and that's really nice to see
2: I mean all season long we've seen the Devin Booker Chris Paul together Lineups have gotten better. They're not as bad as they were at the start mm-hmm. of the season, but mm-hmm. the staggering just continues to work. Uh, Devin Booker by himself, those lineups are fantastic. Chris Paul by himself, those lineups continue to be amazing too. And like you said, it worked worked by design. It's nice to have a guy who just Chris Paul had maybe four points going into that fourth quarter. You know, he rolled in with like three or four field goal attempts at that point, and then yeah, just slows down the base to a halt and and it worked and. Uh, you know, I don't want to make too much, I guess, of a 19-point win over the over the Minnesota Timberwolves. It was very nice to see them handle business, but continues to establish that they're doing things the right way on offense that makes you believe in them come playoff time. And really, that's the most important thing. Um, there are some nitpicks from tonight that I do think we can get into, but Chris Paul and Devin Booker certainly uh, wasn't related to them.
1: Yeah, and I also want to give a shout-out to uh, DeAndre Ayton. Absolutely. made a point about it on Twitter. DeAndre Ayton seems to play his best defense when he has like a specific role, and that specific role tends to be there's this one guy on the other team. Shut him down as much as possible. And that kind of focus that that brings to his game I think really helps him out, even on offense, because having a specific job, one role – uh, you know, whether it be Jokic or it's going to be Embiid on certain nights. He did a great job against Embiid in the Philadelphia game. Obviously does a great job on Jokic in, in this season, even though there was were two frustrating losses. But does a good job regardless. And in this game, Carl anthony Towns, I thought he did a good job. You know, Towns obviously gets his points, but making it as difficult as possible to get those points is really the job of a defender when they're playing against a really good offensive player. Because that slows everybody down when they have to take a few extra dribbles, and, and that mm-hmm. throws off the offense for everybody. You know That's what Mikael Bridges does, and, and when Ayton's really locked in, that's what he can do as well. And I think it helped him towards the end of the game. Now his offense looked a little bit better. There were some post-ups that were nice. He had multiple and ones. I don't know how often that happens for him. Probably not very often at all.
2: I don't have the numbers, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably not very often.
1: And, you know, I thought he looked really good, too. He um, he
2: outscored Cat by the end of the yeah. game, which is kind of crazy. 22-10 and 10 on 9 of 11 shooting. Cat only had 21 points. Um, and this is not to take anything away from DeAndre, but I, I just think it's important to note, I think actually the entire team did a good job of, of guarding Cat tonight. I think Frank Kaminsky yeah. in his right. minutes and, and Dario Sarch as well, I think they all just did a, a good job on him. Um, you know, sometimes not being afraid to use up early fouls in the, early in the shot clock, just to kind of stilt his momentum a little bit and, and kind of force him to uh, not give him anything easy. Um, so uh, yeah, I thought it was a really good team performance in the way they guarded that guy.
1: Yeah. You know, it's tough with cat too, because uh, first of all, he's the best shooter on that team and one of the better shooters in the NBA at this point of his career, obviously the entire team has struggled this year. Uh, rightfully so. He's had some struggles COVID early in the year and obviously tragedy that he suffered this summer with his family, but With Cat, he can stretch you all the way out to the three-point line. And when guys can do that, it's a little scary with Aiton because um, there are times, like with Horford, that's the first guy I think of uh, in that OKC game, where he can get a little bit caught in between helping on drives and and guarding that three-point line. And in this specific game, he was very locked in on Cat. And I think that's the difference between guarding a superstar like Cat, where you know your focus is Cat, Carl Anthony Towns, rather than Horford who he can beat you, but he's not going to beat you every game. Maybe it's okay to leave him open a few more times uh, in that game. It didn't work. But in this game, focused, able to track him, not leaving him at that three-point line, really focused, switching at the right times too. I thought they did a good job on switching. They were fronting a lot, mm-hmm. which is not something they do often, especially with Aiton because Ayton tends to just guard guys in because the post. He's, and, he's so strong. Yeah, he's huge. But it was and worth it tonight. He did a good job.
2: I mean, it's worth it when you have one offensive superstar that you're trying to stop. You just front them and, and then give a little help in the back, and I thought they did a great job with that tonight. Um, I mean, one thing I will say, Anthony Edwards actually had a pretty damn good game. He sort of impressed yeah. me uh, for Minnesota tonight. I, I'm just laughing because I'm thinking about your tweet in the middle of the game that was like, he has the greenest of green lights.
1: <laughs> yeah, he uh, can shoot anything. Yeah, really. You know, he, gets, he actually, in a weird way, He gets to his spots kind of like Devin Booker. It's just he can't make those mid-range shots, but he's able to sort of snake. He's got a pretty tight handle for his size, way more athletic than Devin Booker, but uh, nowhere near as smooth with the ball coming off of his hands. But I think that's the kind of player where I think guys like that, if they can get to their spots, that actually matters a lot more than the shots dropping because the more and more repetitions of taking those shots – is going to help him to make them getting to the spots to be open to take those shots. That's something that a lot of players struggle with. It's hard to get open, and he was getting open quite a I bit. I think I that, think he's going to be partially because of bad defense, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I
2: think he's going to be good. And and honestly, me too. You know, I know this isn't a Timberwolves podcast or anything, but I look at I look at them and I see a lot of what we saw in Phoenix two years ago. Um, it's really hard on Cat right now in trying to envision just how he's going to be on the next great. Timberwolves team with so many young guys around him who are just 19 and 20 and 21 years old but you look at that roster and and guys like uh not only Anthony Edwards but Jared Vanderbilt and me with his defense Naz Reed is good in the post as like a backup center there there are pieces there where if you give them a couple years they they could maybe be something they're just so far away right now they're far too young
1: yeah well I will say uh there's sort of an alternate universe Pick there for the Suns with Jarrett Culver. Jarrett where Culver. If the Suns. If the <laughs> Suns picks Jarrett Culver, <laughs> if the Suns pick Jarrett Culver, that all first of all, no Dario Saric, obviously, which would have been a disaster. No Cameron Johnson, which would have been bad. Maybe not nearly as. Yeah, pretty bad. It would have been pretty bad. It would have been very. And bad. And those nope. those two things would have meant no bubble run, which would have meant no Chris Paul. Like the the amount, the chain reaction that came from that specific trade was pretty dramatic because Cameron Johnson, Dario Saric, two of the most important players in that bubble run. And obviously that's what enticed Chris Paul to actually come to the Phoenix Suns in the first place. Not that he was a free agent, but he could have said no. Um, OKC agreed to trade him somewhere that he was open to being traded to. So he could have said no to the Phoenix Suns, and, and that would have been a disaster. And I think it's proof, right? Smart people, Sam. Smart people said Jarrett Culver was, was going to be good. I'm not giving up on well, Jarrett Culver now. Yeah, But I think it's it's one other drop in the bucket of me saying the draft is stupid. It's really stupid, it is stupid. you never now, know. Now
2: here's the thing. This is not a, a criticism of either Jarrett Culver or the people who said Jarrett Culver was gonna be good. Um, because I think Suns fans have seen the same thing with pro- wing prospects specifically that we've drafted, Josh Jackson. He, and I'm not even saying Jared yeah. Culver, is he's not that far yeah. gone yet. But the thing that's so difficult about wing prospects that really makes you appreciate a, a guy like Cam Johnson who just had the shot down from the second he came out of college. Yeah. But and also he's smart more, outside of that. Yeah. Even more importantly than him, so many wing prospects get drafted who have everything but the shot. And it's just like, well, he's got everything but the shot. And the shot is the easiest thing to learn. So if you just teach him to shoot, he'll be amazing. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. It makes you a lot more appreciative of a guy like Mikhail Bridges, who, granted, was a great shooter coming out of Villanova, but struggled with it his rookie year and the beginning of his sophomore year a little bit, and, and seems to have figured it out. Funny game for me to bring it up, because he actually didn't attempt a single three-pointer uh, three tonight. But still, a guy who's shooting over 40% on the year, who's just... Yeah, I mean, th- these wing prospects where their their shooting form is a little bit iffy coming into the league, and it's like, well, he's athletic, and he can dribble, and he's got the defensive fundamentals. All of that stuff is important, but if at the end of the day you can't put together the shot, you never really, I mean, in today's NBA, you just can't really make it as, as like a three. You can't. Right,
1: right. That's a guy that uh, James James Jones proves that you won't draft guys like that. It seems like he prefers guys who have that shooting form form down he wants shooters obviously and I will say look I'm not I don't want to criticize anyone that thought Jarrett Culver was going to be good because it's just impossible it's a crapshoot sometimes you're right sometimes you're wrong and even the smartest people will be wrong every once in a while and it's even difficult to predict whether or not Jarrett Culver could have been good had he gone to a better organization it's a complete disaster in Minnesota they've lost four in a row by the way after firing their coach and hiring a new guy completely out of the organization within minutes—it's as bad as within minutes. Yeah, clearly <laughs> yeah. something they had planned before. It's a disaster uh, in Minnesota, so it's hard to even fault him for that. Maybe he would be better on another team. The Suns, twelve and three in the month of February, only one team had a better record. The Utah Jazz only one team had a better net rating in the month of February. The Phoenix Suns had a nine point a plus nine point eight net rating, which would have been the highest in the league last season higher than the Milwaukee Bucks that's how good the month of february was for the phoenix suns the utah jazz had an insane 12. F- let's see 12.6 net rating in the month of february so the jazz continued to be the best team in the league but the suns in that month of february at the very least played and performed like the second best team in the league only one of the team had 12 wins and that was the jazz the next best was the bucks with 10 uh, do you want to guess when the last time, based on my cursory glance, somebody <laughs> might correct me if I'm wrong, when the last time the Suns had 12 wins in a month was?
2: 12 wins in a month? Yeah. That's a lot of wins. Uh, yeah. 2000. I'm going to guess 2007, the last time, I think that was the last time they won 60 plus in a
1: season. It was 2009, 2010. Okay. They started uh, very good. And in the month of November, they went 12 and 2. I remember that.
2: Um, who didn't like Robin? Lo- well, am I forgetting? But someone went down that season, right?
1: Yes, it was Lopez. Channing Frye started at center for quite a few games, and and yeah. then
2: this is actually. I think this is funny in that no one's made this comparison yet, but like that was the season. I think Jaron Collins started up uh, uh, too much, way too much, and and it's, <laughs> in the it's, playoffs. He started some games. Jaron Collins started and he would play like ten minutes per game and he would yeah. just go out there and use up his fouls, but he would just play a few minutes with Nash in the first quarter, and he would play a few minutes with Nash in the third quarter, and then you wouldn't see him the rest of the
1: game. Right. Who
2: does that who does that sound like as we're so drawing? Parallel Jaron Collins Kaminsky. <laughs> Basically, I think it's yeah. actually an interesting comparison. The, the two of them play nothing alike, but it, it I was thinking we don't have to have this conversation right now. We can shelve mm-hmm. it for another time if you want. But uh-huh. in trying to, you know, in a way, I'm kind of over the whole Frank J, Frank versus J. Crowder starting thing. But just watching him consistently now, kind of play like 12 minutes a game. I'm thinking like, who was the last guy to do that? And I did think of Jaron Collins tonight. I was like, I think he's the last guy I can remember for the Suns who just did that. And it's a really, really weird thing to do. But
1: I think doing that. It. One of the reasons that Frank Kaminsky is starting outside of the starter minutes is I think Monty's trying to maximize the Chris Paul, Dario Saric, Jay Crowder minutes. The minutes I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast. And if you start Jay Crowder, it's a little more difficult to manage the minutes to where there is a stretch without Devin Booker on the floor that has Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, and Dario Saric. With how good those minutes have been with those three, uh, maximizing those, I think, is a good idea. Especially recently. I, I actually don't even know the stats with those three on the floor but i do know that recently it's been good enough that every time those three are on the floor i take note of it because of how good they look and just how much of a professional basketball team they look like with those three on the floor three geniuses and uh, and i think that that starting lineup might have a little bit more to do with that than anything else and it's a little it's almost like a closer that you put in a pitcher that you put in towards the end of the game to help finish them off I don't know I don't watch baseball Maybe that's a bad analogy Yeah
2: no that That is what a closer does <laughs> Okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm using baseball analogies And I'm like Wait I'm out of my depth here Christ, This is what happens When we don't have like an outline
2: And we just kind of Like alright fuck it I, We'll <laughs> just start talking you, About something
1: <laughs> You made a joke About Devin Booker Being a game changer And what happened Since the last time You and I recorded The all stars were announced The The NBA announced the All Stars. They initially announced All Stars without Devin Booker. They included Chris Paul. You talked about uh, what they could do when you recorded with Max last week. Um, Chris Paul, I think, was the was the obvious choice for a lot of this, like the smart guys that wrote about the, the NBA. And I think the coaches went with that as well, with the sort of caveat that everyone appeared to know that Anthony Davis was not playing. And Devin Booker seemed like the obvious choice with replacing Anthony Davis. Now, there was some interesting things that happened. LeBron James tweeted out that Devin Booker is the most disrespected player in the NBA. Uh, Clutch, I I will just say that. Especially now that uh, Devin Booker's dad apparently is is going to be an agent, I thought that was an interesting tweet. Uh, Came at an interesting time. Yeah, it's a little little
2: naive. As much as we'd like to believe it, that LeBron would solely say something like that from the bottom of his heart, (laughs) out of the goodness of his heart. I I think he wouldn't say it if he didn't believe it somewhat, but yeah, there's... All all I'm saying is
1: this. All I'm saying is this. If LeBron James is starting his own shoe line, supposedly he wanted Luka Doncic as his first uh, guy on his shoe line. Luka Doncic signed with Jordan or someone else. Uh, If Devin Booker is offered those shoes as LeBron James's first signature shoe guy, um. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say he's probably going to sign with Clutch. Like that Of course. That yes. would be a pretty, be a pretty yes. nice way to seal the deal uh, with Clutch. And, and look, as much as that probably makes some people cringe, anything possible that puts the right kind of pressure on Robert Sarver to continue making this team as good as possible is probably good, um, because that's the way you keep good players on an NBA team. You have to continue to create contenders. But... All-star, we don't have to have this All-Star extended conversation in All-Stars. It already doesn't it already feel like old news to you? Well, sure. I mean, yeah, and and if
2: we already had the conversation, not you obviously, but Max and I already had the conversation last week of do they deserve it? The answer is yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. it feels like they both deserve uh, it. Here's here's what I guess we
2: could say is like does the injury replacement thing bother you? It feels like old news to me. It doesn't really bother me. It's been like uh, three There's days. only
1: 12. There's only Look, the All-Star teams should be bigger at this point. That uh, that's I mean, the right take really that's cuz it, it do, honestly it does not really bother me because i when i look at the list of all stars in the west this year i don't find any person that i say isn't obvious and i know people point at zion uh, but zion's crazy like the the amount of points that he scores and the efficiency that he scores it, is insane his defense is mediocre at this point but you can say the same thing about devin booker so i'm not going to worry too much about that yes defense matters more for big guys but still He's insane, so I'm not mad about Zion being an All-Star. So really, when I look at it, I just think, how could there only be 12 All-Stars in the West, specifically? I understand 12 All-Stars in the East, but like they got to find a way to expand those teams and make it not East and West. But something I wanted to talk about is how this happens. What bothers me specifically about the injury replacement thing is because now we are running back old conversations about Devin Booker, that I feel like, I felt like, were now put to bed, because now we have people arguing whether or not he is a quote-unquote game-changer, or if he's just a fun guy to watch, which is such a bizarre take from somebody who's clearly (laughs) trolling. That was Bomani Jones, who's a smart guy, but also likes to poke people a little bit on Twitter and on the internet. Uh, But other people tended to have similar stuff, people who love advanced stats, and I think... There's a bit of a conversation about that that we want to get into at some point to try and explain why advanced stats don't rate Devin Booker as high as other people. And I think that's an interesting question that I'm not prepared to talk about right now, but I think we can talk to some smart people about that. But I'm just so tired of that conversation. I feel like we're so much past that. And I don't think they factor in the fact that he was as good as he was last year and they're winning so many more games this year with him getting slightly worse numbers. It's funny cuz there was a conversation online today about Chris Bosh due to a very funny tweet by a Knicks fan. So many people gave Chris Bosh credit for sacrificing to win more games. And I think to an extent that 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 kind of that kind of credit is not necessarily given to a lot of star players when they share the ball with other star players. Devin Booker is now doing that, probably will continue to get his minutes. This conversation is just so tired for me. I'm just Exhausted of it. Well, if you want the Chris Bosch respect you, you just have to win. <laughs> there's really no yeah, way and around they it are. I, You know, I know there's no
2: way to do that But yeah, I, I mean I mean and, and it's frustrating like sometimes I think like how do you think Bucks fans feel right now? You know it, you, you just got to get to the playoffs and succeed for people to respect you the Bucks yeah. right now are an amazing team Giannis Statistically has a case for a third MVP he does mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but if you're a Bucks fan the only thing you're hearing right now is eh, I don't believe it show me something in the playoffs and it's like, you're right, <laughs> but, but, yeah. but also it's, it's, it's a frustrating thing to hear over and over again because it's like, well, I'm, I'm watching, we're in the regular season right now. I want to take things away from the regular season, and you're not allowing me to do that. So it's frustrating for them. It's frustrating for us in this sort of similar way where for some people, they're not going to be convinced about Devin Booker until he wins a playoff series. And, you know, those aren't the people who watch him every night, ultimately, at the end of the day. Um, I'm looking here. I'm a big advanced stats guy. I I believe in a lot of advanced stats. It's a different conversation that we could have. Ultimately, I think a lot of the people who talked about advanced stats this week don't understand enough about advanced stats in, in the first place to even really have a seat at the table for the discussion, like if you're bringing up P-E-R, which is John Hollinger's stat, it was like the original, <laughs> it was like the original advanced stat that was invented in 19, who knows, 80 mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're bringing up that in 2021, as like this is this says this player's good or this player's bad, then you don't know what you're talking about straight up and, and you shouldn't be talking about analytics at all. But it, 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 regardless of those stats, which many of them do say Devin Booker is good. Some of them say he's bad, but others say he's good. Booker averaged just his traditional stats, 27.9 points per game in the month of February, four and a half assists, 3.7 rebounds, Mm -hmm. 52% shooting from the field, 39 from three, 84 from the free throw line. I updated those stats just now to make sure that they included tonight's trouncing. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no way to spin that, you know, (laughs) when you're the primary scorer, on a team that's winning games as the Suns were this month, there's no way to spin it negatively, simply. Right. So for Devin Booker, it's a very simple equation of just put your head down, uh, score a lot of points on, on these dudes, win games, and, and you'll get the respect that everyone thinks you deserve, at least in Phoenix.
1: Yeah, um, but is that true?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, it really is. That's that's. Really I don't know that it, it is.
1: I really don't know that it is because I thought at some point – Uh, certain conversations about him would be retired, and then you could have other conversations like, well, now we just have to see him do it in the playoffs, or now we have to see him do it here. Now we have to see... And those conversations are not retired. Some people are still holding on to the same tired arguments that they were having before they were winning. And some people always will. You'll never get... Here's what we have to accept. Yes, that's my point. As
2: as an online community, we have to accept. Not just about basketball, but about anything. Nothing has a 100% approval rating. Not everyone's going to like Devin Booker. That's okay. Not everyone likes Steph Curry. Not everyone likes LeBron James. You know, every superstar, you're going to have yeah. a certain amount of haters. But every right. move you make in the NBA buys you a certain amount of time. With Booker, I would look at a guy like Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard got to a playoff series, hit a couple clutch shots, and even though he hasn't won a ring, now he's he's on the wrong side of 30 and maybe people are finally starting to bring it up again. You know, Damian Lillard has a certain amount of haters now, I guess you could call them, who say he's, he's not quite the offensive superstar that people think he is. But for many years, all it took for Lillard to get that respect was get in the playoffs, win a playoff series, hit a big shot. And suddenly he was that guy. And Booker could have the same sort of transformation. You know, for the past several years, up until I'd say maybe the last year or so, people weren't questioning Lillard's ability. It was all on Portland's inability to build the right team around him. But it was never about Lillard. And that hinged entirely on his ability to to just get them into a single playoff series in the first place (laughs) so i think we're getting there i think it's just a frustrating conversation for suns fans because again the people who are criticizing who don't deserve this seat at the table in the first place Mm. are not watching every sun's game we are watching every sun's game and so for them the next time they watch the suns is going to be in the first round against fucking uh, san antonio or whoever we're slated to play that'd be great (laughs) first of all that's crazy uh, that, that would be yeah. crazy. But that's the next time they're gonna watch the Suns. We watch yeah. the Suns every night. So we want respect for Devin Booker right now. We're just not gonna get it from everyone and we have to make our peace with that.
1: Let me say this too. ESPN probably drives a ton of coverage about superstars changing teams. And this is this is part of the problem with, with the way the NBA is covered in general. In that, so much is focused on off seasons and what happens in the off season. And forgive me for putting on a c- conspiracy hat here. Uh, you can feel free to listen to the X Files theme song in your head, but clairvoyant Mike enter. <laughs> yeah, f- just just for the for ESPN members of the ESPN media, if you will, to be saying the types of things that they are saying about Devin Booker. It feels a little bit like uh, they're a little tired of covering him in Phoenix. Uh, it would be more fun to cover him in a bigger market or a different market in general. I don't feel like it always has to be necessarily a bigger market. Phoenix is pretty big, you know. It's not one of the top ten, but it's it's close to. The, it's like twelve or thirteen. I thought it was top ten. As might an outsider, I honestly thought it was. Well, it's t- it's based on TV markets. It's one of the top ten biggest cities, uh, but it's it's not. Do I think it's based not on, on TV TVs markets in Phoenix. No, well, it's why, just that it's why only broad. That discrepancy exist? Well, because like LA, it's broadcast in like oh, a larger okay. area. And like certain places, like it, the TV is broadcasted in a larger, just a larger land area, which b- brings up a bigger population. I don't know. That's all boring stuff. But the point is, sometimes I feel like ESPN prefers to just force people through the media as much as possible to other teams by trying to not give them credit. And if you think that's stupid, I, I honestly, I don't. I think Anthony Davis believed he wasn't getting enough credit in New Orleans, and that was part of the reason he probably left. And yes, it was a team that was kind of a disaster for a while, but they tried. Uh, One of the best players they traded for tore Achilles. That's the kind of thing that you can't really help. Uh, But yeah, that's that's one of my theories there. I will say, for Suns fans, I don't feel like you guys are celebrating this team enough. I'm going to challenge people listening to this.
2: That's a crazy accusation.
1: I just feel like... Well, first of all, every time they're losing, it's doom and gloom uh, wherever you're following the game. And yes, this is part of being a fan. Uh, every loss, it feels like there's people who pointed at the coach or, or whatever you want to do. I think that you need to be happier, feel happier about <laughs> having a team that is this good. I just talked about the last time a team, a Phoenix Suns team won 12 games in a month was a v- more than a decade ago. It was uh, basically 12 years ago. Uh, it's It's okay to enjoy this. It's okay to have fun with this. And in fact, be even more annoying about it if you'd like. <laughs> Feel free to be as insufferable as you like. I honestly thought we would be more insufferable. Instead, I feel like we spend a little too much time arguing with each other. Maybe we need to spend a little more time talking trash to other people. Do you have anything else you'd like to say on this before we well, take a break and get yeah, to the rest of the stuff?
2: Yeah, on that note, I'm looking here. Basketball reference, they do a playoff probability thing. Statistics, advanced analytics. Now I'm putting on mm-hmm. my hat, my analytics hat. They simulate the season every day 10,000 times, and then they try to decide like who's going to end up in what seed and who's going to win the finals and whatnot you wouldn't think it but the phoenix suns right now according to basketball reference as of today tonight have the fourth highest chance of winning the nba finals yeah now i will say they have they have a 6.7 percent chance of winning the nba finals as of tonight that's from basketball reference 6.7 percent is quite a high percentage based on where we thought they would be if you ask me they're only behind utah milwaukee and the clippers what i will say about this is that advanced analytics uh these models have a way of not really accounting for well you'll notice that the two teams that phoenix is in front of brooklyn and the lakers they shouldn't be in front of and that's because the the data is mostly it's accounting for regular season data and not so much you know teams that are coasting through the regular season but are going to wake up in the playoffs or are going to be at full health like brooklyn which will be terrifying in the playoffs or the lakers we're not at full health right now either. But even so, for the Suns to be 4th in that right now is insane. And I think it's mm-hmm. a little bit unfortunate because so- something that takes a little bit of the enjoyment out of it for Suns fans is the fact that they're the 4th seed in the Western Conference. And meanwhile, the, yeah. the Knicks fans get to celebrate uh, you know, outside <laughs> Penn Station as if they just won the fucking championship. And yeah. they're they're in the 4th seed in the Eastern Conference with a 500 record. So yeah. the, the way that this team would be covered if we had an equitable standings uh, and, and a fair system. And, and obviously, you know, we've talked about this for years as Suns fans. But if the Suns were a second or third seed, as they should be, because they're like the fourth best team in the NBA, then we would I think the entire media would be looking at this team differently and we would be talking about it differently as well. I just think that energy is contagious. And it's like... If- We've, we've gotten, don't get me wrong, we've gotten a lot of national TV games this year. We've gotten a lot of respect from, from various people in the media. It's not all bad. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're not covered like a team that by all accounts could very easily, not very easily, but could very well make a conference finals. They're not covered like a team like that at all.
1: Right. Well, here's the truth. If ESPN reported on this team in a way that I considered good, we probably wouldn't have a podcast so shout out to you guys for listening to this podcast feel free to share this podcast with another Suns fan that maybe doesn't know that we exist uh because that's exactly the reason that we do we'll be right back we're going to take a quick break we actually have a report something to, to report on this podcast and we'll talk a little bit more uh, about this team so we'll be right back Hey everyone! I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast, just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q and A's with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a
0: month. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
1: The same rate any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash Join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join.
0: The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, we're back. Sam, you mentioned quickly that you had something else that maybe bothered you a little bit about this game, even though it went really well. Um, what was it that stuck out to you?
2: Yeah, it's it's just, uh, well... Here's how I would describe it, I guess more and more watching the Suns, the Suns are a very good team right now, but I watch this team, and I watch the rotation specifically. Do you watch Knives Out? Do you know that movie? Oh yeah. Yeah. More and more I feel like Daniel Craig's character in Knives Out, <laughs> when he's talking about trying to solve the mystery and he says, it doesn't make any damn sense, compels me though. I feel like that. Like the rotations behind this team and the lineups that work, that, that work versus the ones that don't work, they don't make sense compels me though it's a problem to be solved <laughs> seriously and and looking at this team right now here's here's how i would start i don't believe that you need philosophically that you need like an amazing think you know Leandro barbosa or whatever if, if you're you know an old school suns fan i guess if that's old school even um that you need like one of the best sixth men in the league to win a championship you don't but who's the sun's sixth man right now mike if you had to say
1: Hmm. Dario probably
2: so Dario Saric is averaging 16 minutes per game since returning from his injury because he's playing almost exclusively center behind DeAndre Ayton which means there's not like there's not an opportunity because I agree with you in the sense that he's good obviously the lineups with him have been amazing but he's not playing he's like not playing that type of role you could say Cam Johnson Cam Johnson over the past 5 games he's averaging 18 minutes per game which also just doesn't feel like a lot. I mean, the Cam Johnson was playing close to 30 minutes per game in the bubble and doing really well. Uh campaign would have been maybe our answer at the very beginning of the season, right? Well, campaign played 10 minutes this week against Charlotte. He played 9 yeah. versus Chicago. He played 3 minutes
1: tonight. He didn't play tonight, basically.
2: He played garbage-time minutes tonight.
1: Yeah, yeah. He and was not in the rotation.
2: Your last option, for as long as you're going to do this weird thing where you start Frank Kaminsky, is Jay Crowder. Jay, mm mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he still plays minutes. He plays like 25 to 30 minutes a game, right? Well, I mean, he does deserves the team, those minutes. Does
1: a team need a traditional sixth man if they're staggering their stars the way the Suns are? I mean... I get yes. what you're saying, but like part, part of the reason I think well, part of the reason I think you think that that way is because usually six men are guards who tend to come in and dominate the offense, and mm-hmm. the Suns don't really need that, do they? I, think I mean, it they, would help. I'm not I think saying they it would, do. I think
2: in a league where everything revolves around dribble penetration, as good as right. the Suns no. have, as good as the Suns have elevated I get that. their floor by pairing Chris Paul and Devin Booker together, yeah. I like all of the guards in this rotation. I like campaign. I like Langston Galloway. Etoin Moore has, has been good at times. He hasn't been consistent enough for me. Javon Carter obviously has, has earned his stripes in various ways, but none of them are quite what you need. I, I mean, you're one injury away, it feels like to either Booker or Paul, and it doesn't even have to be a big injury. It could just be a strain that keeps them out for a week or two to really being put in a position where you struggle to find offense. And so the reason I bring it up now is A because I think just the campaign thing is weird. Like I didn't think he played poorly enough to lose his his spot this fast for him to play three minutes tonight and, and again, not at all. He wasn't in the rotation, is is weird. But B, the Suns just uh they just waived Damian Jones. They have an open roster mm-hmm. spot. I think most of the dialogue about that so far has been in terms of looking for another big, basically just a better Damian Jones, someone to replace him who could maybe back up. You know, Dario has missed some time here and there. You don't necessarily wanna have Frank in that spot. We know Jalen isn't ready for it. So potentially finding another big, but you could just as easily search the buyout market for another guard. I think it's very unlikely you're gonna find your sixth man on the buyout market. So the more Mm -hmm. likely thing you could do is start to explore the trade market and look at the, the types of flexibility that you've opened yourself to now that you can make a two-for-one trade or a three-for-two trade or, and so on because of that open roster spot.
1: Are we having the George Hill conversation again now? I don't know. Is, I it, mean, is it time? <laughs>
2: he, like, he's the
1: guy, right? Yeah, because yeah, the defense is there, I think, is a big thing. But could there be another guy? Yeah, there could be, and I think that's something to keep an eye on. I pulled up a stat in the month of February, drives per game. Uh, I I want to see if you can guess the top five guys, just out of curiosity. I may, maybe even may six. Have looked at the stat fairly
2: recently, so don't. Blame okay, me so let's see. Who,
1: number one, I think is obvious. Ah, uh, yeah, it's Devin Who Booker. Yeah, Devin Booker. And number two is pretty obvious, Chris, Chris Paul, Paul. So we'll skip those. Number three, you a guess?
2: Uh, wow. Why am I already? All right. Maybe I shouldn't have been so confident. Is it? <laughs> is it? Who else? It's a, it's
1: it's obvious if you think about it. Maybe he's not getting minutes recently. Campaign. But yeah. It's campaign. It's gotta yeah. be campaign. I think here's where it gets a little interesting. Uh, I would have guessed somebody different for this fourth spot. Maybe that's a little bit of a hint for you, but uh, you want to you give it a try?
2: Is it a, a starter or bench? Cause I have two. It is a starter. That okay. helps. Mikael Bridges?
1: It's Mikael Bridges. Yeah. And number five, bench guy. Abdel Nader. It's actually Etwan Moore. Oh, Abdel Nader okay. is pretty high. And number six, interestingly, above Cam Johnson, above Abdel Nader, is- above Dario Saric... Gotta be Frank Kaminsky. (laughs) Oh wow! Okay, so I did not know (laughs) this
2: as well as I purported to.
1: Yes, and you know what? The reason I brought it up is specifically to see where Frank Kaminsky was because I had a feeling he was pretty high on this list because he's got that little pump fake and drive down. He's capable of finding guys after a dribble or two. He has a few moves to get to the basket. Sometimes he can get fouled. Sometimes he can travel, but. I think his willingness to drive is part of the reason that he stayed in the rotation. We'll see how much that continues going forward. I have a feeling that's the type of thing that drops off in the playoffs. But his willingness to drive, I think, is important. And that's why he's in the game. He's higher than uh, Jay Crowder. Obviously, Jay Crowder, not not super great at it. Um, Yeah, but it gets gets pretty dismal as you go down. Like, DeAndre Ayton is now... It used to be half of a drive a game when I looked at this early in the season. In the month of February, this is... (laughs) This is by design, I imagine. He's at 0.1 drives per game. <laughs> yeah, it's not. For DeAndre
2: Ayton. Not something we're going to see from him very often. I do wonder, did, did they, his, They're
1: not letting him do it now, I would argue, based on these stats. They're just asking him not to do that. Did his quick 720 spin cycle move today, uh, <laughs> did that count as a drive? <laughs> that he was... Came
2: down, he came down the lane pretty quick. Uh, I don't what know. A, what curious. a
1: great play to happen when you're up by like 18 points or whatever. And not, he, and not when I you're down by it. like you, five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't think he would have done it if they were down. I think he was. I think he was trying to get fouled. To be honest, but uh, <laughs> you know, everyone throws it up at the rim every once in a while to try and get a foul. That was the most hilarious way to so do it. So
2: here's here's the thing, and the last thing I'll say about this. It makes sense if, if Frank Kaminsky is in the lineup for that reason, right? That's a good statistic yeah. to bring up because he provides yeah. the dribble penetration. But what it doesn't explain is, so why get rid of campaign?
1: No, I, I ex- exactly why I brought that up. And and uh, I saw this from Kellen, our friend Kellen, uh, who said that he was an extreme negative in net rating for the last, I'm sorry, not net rating, just just raw plus minus uh, for the last few games. Uh, Cameron Payne, the team's getting outscored pretty dramatically. When Cameron Payne is on the floor, I think it's a little unfair to him. It was just a few games, first of all, but also he plays minutes without Devin Booker or Chris Paul, and uh, that's tough. Etwan Moore maybe just makes less mistakes, but Cameron Payne, he, he was reaching heights that no other guy could reach as far as those guards when he plays well, and it's tough to cut him out of the rotation entirely, which I don't think is permanent, I will say. Maybe he's still got some lingering pain from an injury. I'm not really sure.
2: All right, anything else on that? No, I think we can uh, move on to some, well, uh, basically. Something we have been (laughs) avoiding. Can we just say it like that? A conversation we've been avoiding for months. I think it's time to have it.
1: Yeah, Um, so uh, some of you listened to the Bill Simmons podcast with Zach Lowe. He mentioned uh, something about Mikhail Bridges and his extension. Uh, He said that Mikhail Bridges could get something as high as uh, eighty-five million over four years, or something like that. But we actually have a credible uh, source that talked to us about that. That said, somebody who represents somebody from Mikhail Bridges' agency has stated that Mikhail Bridges will not sign an extension for less than twenty million dollars a year. So this is an actual report from us. This is not. This is not a joke. I know. I feel like I have to say that when I say well, something and we're, serious. Well,
2: we're not reporters. We don't. We don't break news.
1: No, um, but sometimes you. You know, sometimes you get sometimes, stuff. Sometimes we talk to <laughs> and in someone. this case, we got <laughs> stuff. We. So this is something that they have stated out loud uh, to people who could get this to the team pretty easily that Mikhail Bridges will not sign an extension at less than $20 million a year. This is an important time to talk about this because I think this has a major effect on what the team will look like going forward because he can sign that extension this summer and I think Mikhail Bridges, he might even be the number one priority as far as extension even above DeAndre Ayton. I think they're going to try and lock them both up this summer, but I wouldn't be surprised if James Jones viewed Mikael Bridges as that number one priority there because of his importance for like making up for Devin Booker's uh, shortcomings a little bit and just his potential on the offensive end. Uh, so that's a report that's out there now. Um, we're sort of doubling down on it because even though Zach Lowe didn't report it, I, th- I have a feeling it came from the same place or something like that. But it's fair to say that that's a lot of money, first of all, for Mikhail Bridges. Um, my first thought—we haven't really talked about this, Sam. My first thought is I would absolutely pay him twenty million dollars a year. That might be like the extreme limit of what I would try to do, but you know, it's possible. <laughs> if he gets to restricted free agency, he could be offered even more. If he continues to improve, so say four years, eighty million. If it goes up from twenty million dollars, it could be four eighty-five. Like Zach Lowe said, what do you think?
2: I don't even blink. I give him twenty easily. Uh, and, and if it goes to, if it goes to 22, 23, I'm still cool with it. If it goes to 25, that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, but like, you know, the most recent comparison we have in this, it it may feel like a shock to some people. I think there's some people out there who still look at Mikhail Bridges as a role player. And granted he is one and think that he should get, okay, maybe 12 to $15 million. If you look at OG Ananobi, the extension he signed with the Raptors just last year was for 18 million a season. Mm -hmm. He averaged 10 points, 5 rebounds, 1.6 assists, uh, 1.4 steals, 0.7 blocks per game for the Raptors last and year. It's just Mikhail, not
1: as good defense as Mikhail. I mean, I mean yeah, good he's, defense, good, he's a good but, defender,
2: but yeah. Mikhail bridges better stats across the board, and it's he was also very efficient, credit to OG last year. But it's just one of those things where when you get a guy who has even a little bit of the scoring potential, who is efficient in his offense, in his cutting, in his three-point shooting, but is also a lockdown defender it's a pill that you just got to swallow and you got to deal with it and you know for mikhail i think the thing that makes you feel a little bit better about it if your sons fans a i think mikhail going to demonstrate his value in the playoffs i think there are teams and it will be very abundantly clear in the playoffs that there are teams that have a mikhail bridges and there are teams that don't have a yeah. mikhail bridges i think the portland game where phoenix blew them out last week was a very good example of that portland being a good offensive team Obviously, you don't want to get into a close game against Damian Lillard in the fourth quarter because he'll kill you with the pull-up jumper, but their defense sucks. And they—they they, you know Covington just can't guard anyone out on the perimeter. They do not have a Mikael Bridges type to save their life. And it's gonna make it very difficult for them to actually win a playoff series. Teams like Phoenix, teams like Utah with Royce O'Neal being kind of another guy of the similar kind of skinny frame, good defensive player. Um, those teams have a much better shot at succeeding even against the behemoths of the Western Conference, so that's A. I think he's going to demonstrate his value in the playoffs. B. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest; I forgot what B is, but maybe I'll, maybe it'll come back to me. <laughs>
1: well, point I'll, is, I'll talk. Sure. <laughs> if he, I think that's a really great point, and I'm glad you brought that up. The playoffs specifically, because we're talking twenty million dollars a year right now. And you you talked about it getting up to potentially 25 million a year. I
2: remembered what B was, but I will Well, mention.
1: that's the playoffs could get it up to 25 million a year. Like we could be looking at And here's the thing, if he demonstrates that level of value in the playoffs, say he averages 18 points per game in the playoffs, I mean, then yes, you give him 25 million a so, year. You so just that's do the it. Thing.
2: Just remember how people were talking about Lou Dort in the playoffs last year. And Mikael Bridges is already better than that. Like the 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 mainstream media is dying for narratives of like look at this long guy watch him lock down Luka Doncic or james harden or kevin durant whoever it is they love that they, they they love stories like that but the other thing i wanted to say my second point originally i think mikhail bridges has flashed enough offensive potential now beyond just being a good three-point shooter which is important being a, a good lane filler in transition which is important but actually being a guy who attacks the teeth of the defense recognizes Mm -hmm. mismatches, looks for his own shot in the mid-range, maybe he's only scoring 13 points per game right now. And maybe he will never be an offensive star. I I think it's very unlikely that he actually becomes that. I think he's shown enough that he could become, like, a fringe 20-point-per-game scorer. Um, I I wouldn't say it's a guarantee, but two or three years from now, Mikael Bridges scoring 20 points per game as, like, your third option, maybe even your second option, wouldn't shock me. So locking yeah. him up a year earlier than when maybe you do have to give yep. him the the max contract, um, and, and kind of having that growth banking on that, I, I think it's a, a reasonably smart play for the Suns to do that.
1: Uh, yeah, and the other part is he doesn't miss games. Like he just doesn't miss games. He's played basically every game he's ever been able to not, play. Not for he's injuries, played.
2: not for suspensions,
1: not for yeah. anything. <laughs> Nothing exactly. <laughs> But, I mean, it's important to talk about this, and this is where it gets a little complicated. This is, you know, like I said, it's a credible report. It's as good as it gets from us. <laughs> but. Whatever that We means. have to talk about how it works for the. How that affects the rest of the team. Like I said, I personally believe, and I strongly believe, that Mikhail Bridges will likely be the priority to lock up this offseason. And then you have DeAndre Ayton. The question is is Robert Sarver the type of guy that would be willing to get close to $25 million a year for both Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton? That's. That becomes a tough pill to swallow. Not only is that a lot of money for two players, but also that really hamstrings this team going forward. Hundred percent. And that's where it gets really complicated. And, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you should not do that because I think there's a case to be made that you could do that. First of all, both of those guys are good, and also they're both tradable contracts. If you have to move them at some point because of the value that they bring on the floor, especially if DeAndre Ayton finds a way to become more effective offensively which he's shown signs of obviously earlier this season and i think the last few games he's had some good offensive games uh picked up late in each game but you know finds ways to score pretty effectively and that's that's where it gets really complicated and that's why i think now is a good time to talk about it because if they want to if they don't want to do that they might make trades and i'm not saying that i'm not even advocating either way i'm saying that now is soon when it could happen because this is something that they're going to be very, very keenly aware of, and we have an owner that does not—he doesn't exactly have a reputation of a guy who's willing to pay a lot of money for a lot of players. And I, I personally would be surprised if he paid both of them. Yeah, it's, but it's going to be interesting.
2: I, I think it's important for Suns fans to recognize too in this conversation: Chris Paul's contract is coming off the books in two years. That's for you know, right? You might, you might think that's forty million dollars, and, and it'll save you. It won't. Uh, and that's because the Suns are committed for multiple more years to Dario Saric at $10 million a year. They're committed to Jay Crowder at $10 million a year. Obviously, Devin Booker with his max contract. So adding Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton for both like 20 to $25 million a year, it doesn't really matter that Chris Paul comes off the books in two years. That's your core. Uh, and so you don't really get to bring any other big pieces in unless you do a trade. And obviously, you'll you'll have your mid-level exception every free agency. So you can continue to add role players and tinker with the roster. But if you sign both of these guys to long-term extensions this summer, your core is Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges. You've got one more year of Chris Paul that you hope you can extract some value out of, and and that's kind of it going forward.
1: Uh, Yeah, and here's here's the real reality that Suns fans have to face. What can the Suns find at a lower rate out of Mikhail Bridges or DeAndre Ayton, as far as what those guys do, maybe not as good, but at a discounted rate. And that usually falls onto big men. And this is not even a slight on DeAndre Ayton at all. I'm just talking about the way that teams build teams in today's NBA. If they're talking about one or the other, which they may do at some point, if they have to decide, make a decision on one or the other, it's harder to find what Mikel Bridges does than a, sl- like a slightly worse version of what Mikhail Bridges does than a slightly worse version of what DeAndre Ayton does. They can probably find a cheaper version of that as far as overall contract. So that's something that Suns fans have to be aware of because that has a large effect on what could happen going forward. This is not a conversation about who he is as a player or who Mikhail Bridges is as a player as much as just the overall archetype of players I think that's going to have a big difference on how they build this team going forward. And I'm personally fascinated by it because tonight we're recording this, like I said, after the Minnesota game, you see how important both of those guys are because Mikael can do anything um, defensively. And Aiton is needed when he when we need somebody to guard somebody like that who's a massive offensive threat at the big man position. So how they build this team going forward this offseason is going to have a major effect on the teams that we are rooting for going forward. And, and you know, Mc- even with Devin Booker, as his contract gets into those last few years of his contract, it's going to have to look like a team that he wants it to look like if the Suns want to keep Devin Booker. So it's it's not to say that his input won't matter going Especially forward in this too.
2: He's increasingly going Hollywood just in terms of his lifestyle. I don't even necessarily mean literally. Um I want to put you on the spot. We've avoided having sure. this conversation. I'm sorry. You can, you can do the same to me in return. That's fine. Sure. We've been avoiding having this conversation, and I think it's been a smart play on our part because we wanted to wait until about halfway through the year to compile data on what these guys are. We haven't talked at all this season about what DeAndre Ayton is worth, what Mikael Bridges is worth. So this is the first time we're doing this in who knows how long, and we'll probably update this conversation at the end of the year. What would you do? If you if you had to make the decision today, do you offer who do you offer the extension to both of them, neither them, or only one? If you were James
1: Jones and it's the end of year three, uh, I would offer both. I would offer both of them. Okay. Uh, like assuming no trades are made, which I think at this point, it's just really difficult. If you, I know there are Suns fans that have tried. It's really difficult to match any salary for good guys who can contribute on this team this year, which is the only reason you would make a trade is to find somebody who would contribute right now. And it's really difficult to match salaries for guys like that. So I don't think... I'm sort of leaning towards I don't think they will make any major trades. I think they might still shop around just to see what's available because they're close enough to contention that it's worth to shop around. But I think they want to see what this team could do in the playoffs with how good they're playing. And, and I, I think that's the right decision. But I would lock them both up because, I, like I said, just just because you get them on long-term deals does not necessarily mean that they're going to be for sure pieces of the team going forward I think that I think Mikel I'd go up to 25 for I think with DeAndre Ayton I would currently probably look towards what Clint Capello was making which is like close to 20 million dollars a year to start and I think it was like a declining contract for him if you can get him on that, that's great. I, I'm not sure that he would sign that. I think just just being a number one pick makes it more expensive, and that's, that's where it gets a little more complicated. But I would try to get him closer to $20 million a year if you can, and I think that if he continues to improve, that could end up looking like a really great deal. Uh, it's if it's the same with Mikel, although I'm a little more comfortable with it for Mikel, um, in that once it starts getting up to $25 million for a guy like DeAndre Ayton, It gets a little tough. I probably, honestly, I probably would still do it because you don't want that kind of dysfunction going into next season as far as a guy not being locked up, especially if one guy gets locked up and the other guy doesn't. That can be a little complicated. What would you do?
2: I would give it to McHale. And with Aiton, I don't know, man. He has a lot of good games and he has a lot of bad games.
1: Yeah, maybe you can hold it over him. Try and make I, him I mean, eat.
2: I think it was an interesting point that you just made about, you know, I don't think holding it over him would be a, a good leadership I mean, there's strategy, an element exactly. of accountability there, right? There is Prove an, that you earn it, that's, earn it. That's, and that's what I'm getting at, though, ultimately, is I'm not comfortable giving DeAndre Ayton $20 million a year
1: yet. Yeah. I could get there. I, I think it's fair. But I think with Mikel, he'll get a max if he goes to restricted free agency. Right. Ayton might not. Like so, yeah, that's probably I, a good that's a good choice for you too. But I just I, I worry want, about chemistry. In I that want case. another
2: year. I, I want another year unless something unless he goes off in the second half. And again, this is why we'll talk right. about it again. But where I'm at right now, I want uh, Eaton to go into year four and prove it. And I think there's not too, you know anyway there's not too much of an upside play that I can think of to sign him earlier because it's like if you know you're going to sign him anyway you already know that you're committing to a core of Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton, right? So I don't know, I would would rather he go into year four and just actually earn it. And if he kind of proves you wrong, right, and he takes, he bets on himself, and well, I guess it's not technically betting on himself if the team isn't willing to offer him the extension, but if he actually uh, takes the next step, and earns a max contract when you could have had him for 20 if you just locked him up earlier, uh, that's something I'm willing to live with. But I would actually like right. to see him take that step first.
1: Hey, now I think you i think you convinced me there. I think that makes a lot of sense. I just, uh, you know, I don't—I think you're right because consistency is the number one issue with him and it's not with Mikel. And with Mikel, you can lock him up. You understand that he's going to be consistent with Aiton for the heights he can reach. Um, you know, there's also games that are pretty not good sometimes, and I think that consistency is the most important thing to him. For all the talk he's had <laughs> about his second contract and making that money, maybe it's important to to make him prove it. Even if you're running a little bit of a risk for two things of chemistry issues, which I don't think there would be because I think you're right. He needs to earn it, and two. Um, paying him too much you know that's that's another risk that you could run into you're right or or just more in general maybe it wouldn't be too much if he proves it uh but that's a really interesting conversation i'm glad we saved that for now i think we have enough of a sample size that it's actually become quite an interesting conversation Mikel i I mean it's it's basically as good as you can consider it for mikhail if his ball handling gets better next season if you can lock him up before that yeah, that's it, there's some potential there.
2: It's a lot more fruitful to have this conversation like once or twice a season. Also, I didn't want to hold it over the players heads after a bad game like every week. That would have been really obnoxious. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we saved it.
1: Yeah, it's that's a stupid way to look at it in any, any way. And I know that it's it's easy to do that. I will say I think that Suns fans in general don't really have that conversation as i feel like every single game i mean they talk uh, in grand people,
2: terms about eight after every game for sure but you're right i don't yeah, think the contract it's not as, specifically yeah, has been
1: granular in that i think yeah. it's it's gotten a little more broad um we're about an hour here is this next game tuesday against the lakers is this the most important game so far huge. of the season it's
2: huge it's yeah. humongous. It's uh, it's the it's the biggest. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait. And and uh, I guess as of I don't want to put you on the spot again, but I guess I will. Um, maybe we'll record a podcast after that game. Maybe we won't. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. We'll see. I mean,
1: it, it could be. It's a little short of a time. Yeah, it's
2: uh, it's a huge it's, game though.
1: I hope I hope I will say I hope people listen to this one because I think we had uh, first of all we had a report for first time ever, but we also I think there's an interesting conversation that I'd like to hear people's thoughts on. As far as those extensions go, but yeah, it might be a good game to record. The Suns could come out of that game as the number two seed in the NBA or in, in the entire NBA after that game, depending on how things shake out with some other teams. And that's when uh, we can get
2: anyone on the podcast. At that point, you guys thought yeah. KOC was big. Uh, yeah. We'll have Bill Simmons on next week if the Suns. Are in the <laughs> we'll have
1: Bill seat. Simmons on, and we'll just read him his old tweets about Devin <laughs> Booker. <Blair. laughs> um, answer for yourself,
2: Bill. What'd you say?
1: I said, answer for yourself. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> just a little bit of Lakers analysis. Are, are we almost at the end here? Or?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you have something that you'd like to say, I'd love, I, I I'd love to hear. Because I haven't, I've, I, I actually haven't watched a lot of Lakers. I know they've been on a lot. I just find them less interesting than other teams. So I've I, focused yeah, on other teams.
2: They're, they're not that interesting, frankly. And, and I guess the only thing I would say is that I, I think the Suns have a good case for just being the better team here without Anthony Davis. The Lakers since Anthony Davis originally went down on February 6th. Now, he came back and played a couple of games and then kind of left again um, in this period of time. But since he originally went down for the first time, they are third in defensive rating. They are 27th in offensive rating. Right. Um, right, They're a team that's struggling this month. They've got LeBron, but you know even LeBron has his limits, of course. And their role players are not that consistent. So I think there's a good chance that the Suns are actually the favorites in this game, which is kind of crazy to say. Um, but it's still going to be a massive matchup. I think there's still a question of do you put uh, well. First of all, do you even start Jay Crowder? You you absolutely should start Jay Crowder on LeBron James over Frank Kaminsky. That's not even a question in my mind. Right. Um, but there's also right. a question of should you put DeAndre Ayton on LeBron James? Um, I think this is a case where you don't want to do that because while no. I think it is definitely true that. D, um, Aiton is, as you talked about earlier in the episode, Mike. Aiton is more engaged defensively when he kind of just has like a matchup to focus on. I think LeBron is one of those specific matchups where um, he runs too hard in transition, and he would put a yeah, lot no. of he would put a lot of stress yeah. on Aiton, and, and he wouldn't. Pick That's him up you're
1: before. fouling out Ayton in that case. Yeah. You know, Le, first of all, LeBron gets calls, uh, but yeah, he just he won't be able to stay in front of him, and that'll lead to too many fouls. I think. You know, Mikel is another option, uh, but uh, I I think you're right just as as far as strength goes. Jay Crowder's a better matchup there. That's the type of team where starting both of those guys and playing the starters really heavy minutes to try and get a win out because it could matter at the end of the season uh, is probably the best option there.
2: Yeah, It's going to be a fascinating one. Those tiebreakers are actually going to matter. And, and, you know, it's funny. I was looking at the remaining strength of schedule. The Suns have among the harder remaining schedules in the NBA. That is always kind of the case when you're in the Western Conference because you just play a lot of good teams in the West. We know the West Yeah, and, is and the
1: Lakers and, a few more times too.
2: Right. Well, I was going to say they've got two more games against Utah, two more games against the Clippers, and two against the Lakers. So yeah. they have beaten a lot of good teams so far, and that's very good news, but they've got they got to run the gauntlet against some of these just Western Conference contenders. They, they've mostly escaped without having to play those teams so far. Um, and those challenges are going to start piling up in the second half of the season.
1: Yeah, if you want to see people cover the Suns, then have them beat the Lakers in an important game. I think that's <laughs> where you're going to get that coverage, but uh, that'll be a fascinating one. I think this has been a fun conversation. Sam, it's nice to be back, uh, especially to talk about this team. Good to have you uh, so possibly back after that Lakers game, another episode, but definitely back next week. Anything else you'd like to say?
2: Nope, that's all. Uh, peace out, guys. Thank you for listening as always, and let's hope for the best on Tuesday. Maybe we'll see you after the game.